Let's stand together and sing, church. I believe in the sun. I believe in the risen one. I believe I overcome. I the power of his blood. Amen. Amen. I'm alive, Sing it out. I was dead in the grave. I was covered by sin and shame. But I heard mercy call my name. come before you because you live we can face tomorrow because you live we have life and have life abundantly and have life eternally lord we just give you all praise and glory for the life that you so graciously give those who call your name and for ask forgiveness of their sins lord we just uh, want to worship you in spirit and in truth today and we thank you in christ's name amen hey as you're seated grab one of these uh 
blue cards, connection cards, and fill that out, especially if you've been with us maybe just this week or last. We'd love to know who you are. There's also a prayer request card in there. And uh, a, a huge thank you to your prayers, and thanks for fill, filling in last week. Uh, my arm's doing great, so says the doctor, and the pain is relatively pain-free as long as I don't do something stupid. And, um, but it, it does take me about twice as long to do things. So if you had a dinner reservation at, at noon, <laughs> nope, uh, no, we're going to go through. Um, so, hey, I would, I would like for you to know about uh, Christmas this year. Because we postponed uh, Back to Bethlehem till next year, we are going to do some musical things. And so um, four-year-olds through pre-kindergarten, they're going to be singing a, a four or five Christmas songs on uh, December the 4th. Uh, as well as the first through sixth graders are going to do a musical on December the 4th. So if you're in that age category or parents, you have kids in that age category, you'll want them to be a part of that. So be sure and uh, ask uh, you know, Jennifer in preschool, ask Cindy in children how your kids can be a part of that. Okay, And then also the adults in the orchestra are going to be uh, presenting Christmas music on the 11th, the evening of the 11th. So if you'd like to be a part of that, we would love to have you a part of that. We practice on Wednesday nights. Just give me a call, and I'll tell you how you can be a part of that. Okay? Um, boy, this next song is an old one, but it, it's such such rich uh, theology in it. it. It comes from Psalm 103. So let's just meditate on a portion of Psalm 103 as we play through this once, and then let's sing it together. about his love. There is one born for us of 
as your servants want to uh, give our tithes and offerings to you. Lord, again, you've made it clear we have nothing of significance that we can give to you, but 
that which we give to you, you bless and you use it and you teach us through giving that we need you. And uh, Lord, help us to understand that concept of, of stewardship that as we give, we recognize that it all comes from you and we need your blessing each and every day. Lord, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
I speak Jesus. And this song, I just want it to cap off uh, Brother Philip's message to the family. We need to speak Jesus over our family, don't we? We need to remember that He is first and, and, and reign supreme in our family. And we all blow it every day. We, there, we, we put other things before Christ. We know we do. I know I do. And, but little by little, we just need to keep Him front and center. Amen? And so just use this time to say, Lord God... As best as I can, I'm going to put you first in, in my family. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Every dark addiction starts to break Declaring there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus 
Well, special thanks to Daniel and Alyssa and our choir and Brother David. What a really good, solid song for a conclusion on what we've been preaching on, the family. And furthermore, 2 Corinthians 10 would remind us that we are called by God to bring every thought captive into the obedience of Christ, which is powerful for the pulling down of strongholds. So thank the Lord for that. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4, listen again to the admonition, fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. To be filled with the spirit is to be dominated, is to be controlled by the spirit through the word of God. To be filled with the spirit through the word of God transforms marriage and family. If you track from Genesis 3, once the fall begins, all the way through the Old Testament into the New, you're going to see God redeeming relationships. He's transforming relationships even in the midst of sinful nature. Thank the Lord for that. When you get to Ephesians 5, you see what the family looks like when it is filled with the Spirit. Spirit-filled wives submit to their husbands with gladness. Spirit-filled husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church with joy. Thinking of Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Spirit-filled children obey their parents. I was looking, listening to the gallery of kids over here to see if there was a response. Spirit-filled children obey their parents. Spirit-filled parents do not provoke their children to wrath or anger, nor do they embitter them into discouragement, but they parent in a certain way. Thus, we've entered into the final part of the admonition for families. What is the adversative to 
provoking to anger and embittering them unto discouragement. Colossians 3, the adversative used Allah here, but bring them up. There's a contrast. There's an antithesis to provoking to anger and embittering to discouragement, and that is you bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So there is something that we do as parents through the Word and the Spirit that is positive in the lives of our children. We saw what we should not do last week, and today we see what we should do positively. Remember, the Father stands as representative to both the parents. Certainly, there is, I think, a, an aim at this text at fathers in particular. Why? Because you are ultimately responsible for the instruction and discipline of your children. The, the number one responsibility falls upon you. But as in the Proverbs, we've been reminded that the wife is in one flesh principle with the husband. And therefore, wives, like we said last week, you are to listen to the sermon. Husbands, you are to listen intently, right? There's a, certainly, the means that the, it means that the mother's duties are assumed in the father's duties, However, again, the primary responsibility, primary responsibility in raising children rests upon the father. So remember the outline, fathers do not provoke but train your children. And last week we talked about what does it mean to not, what does it mean not to provoke your children. This week, what does it mean to discipline and instruct your children. So again, we've got this contrast. Don't provoke your children to anger, but... Adversative, rear them. There's the word. Bring them up. Train your children. So the verb is given as a command. It's not optional. And the verb was used back in 529. Listen to this. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. So remember, when the Lord begins to move that focus uh, from... Loving your wife as Christ loved the church. And then he gives the second admonition, which is husbands, love your wives as you love yourself. The word used here nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. That's the same word given here. Bring them up. Cherish. Nourish them. So when Paul uses it here, the term is generally used for caring and rearing children into maturity. That is the focus here in the text. When Paul uses it, it can simply mean something as simple as providing food. Any of you families have a hard time providing enough food for your kids? Oh, we do. Yeah. Especially when everybody joins in at your house and eats all the food, right? We have to keep food available. But it can simply be providing food. For instance... I think I've said it enough for you to know that there is a Greek translation of the Old Testament from Hebrew to Greek called the Septuagint. You'll usually see it in Roman numerals, LXX. When you look at Genesis 47:17, the scripture says that Jacob was feeding his livestock. Guess what the word is translated from Hebrew to Greek into? Nourish. So here is the idea of physically nourishing at that particular point cattle, 
But with us, we would be thinking of the physical aspects of taking care of the fact that our children need to eat. It can simply mean that. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 25, 37, When did we see you hungry and feed you? Well, again, that's the same word. The sense of taking care of something physically. Bring them up, nurture them. And again, Paul in 5.29 uses the exact same word. And it has to do with physical nourishment, physical provision, physical growth. But the narrow use of the word in the context of parenting means to rear or bring up or train. It is to raise a child to maturity by providing physical and psychological needs for the child. Luke 4.16. The Bible says that Jesus entered the synagogue where he has been reared. That means brought up. Here's our word as a child. In Acts 7.21, which may be the best sermon ever preached, when Stephen is preaching right before he's martyred for his faith, he's rehearsing the life of Moses in the sermon. And he speaks of Pharaoh's daughter who took Moses and raised him up as her own. There's the word again. So we are called by God to bring up and train our children. Now the question is, how do you nourish them or rear them up or bring them up? Well, it's the parent's responsibility. Right? Implicit in the command is the issue of the principle of authority. Also implicit in the command is the responsibility. So parents, are you there? Listen, the authority has been given to you to nourish them and bring them up, but also the responsibility has been given to you to do so. So the God-ordained domestic structure is that parents who are to rear their children are the ones who are in authority in the home, and the children are to be in submission to the parents' authority. This is absolutely critical if we are to raise our children effectively. Parents must be in charge. Parents must be in charge. You are given the God-given authority to bring up your children. But it also implies responsibility. The parent-child relationship is not one of equal mutuality. It's not the way it is. Do children have certain responsibilities to their parents? Absolutely. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. Yet the parents are always the ones who are responsible for the children and never vice versa. Again, their responsibilities of children as parents grow older. I look forward to those days when I get older and my, parent and my kids begin to step up to take care of their parents in another realm as we get older. Yet, the home structure is that parents are in authority. And children bear the, res and bear the responsibility for the children. Parents cannot treat their children as equal peers. You can't. The authority and responsibility structure of the command in the Greek language screams for us to remember that the child is not a peer and the child is not a buddy. The child is a charge given to you by God 
over which you are to exercise authority. So inherent, think of this, in this admonition is this commission to exercise loving authority, but also to take the full responsibility to train up or nourish or bring up or rear your children. It's the parent's responsibility to raise the children, not vice versa. What will the next generation look like after it has seen parents who have been raised by children? I I hope you understand that that's what we're seeing today. That's what we're seeing today. So this prepositional phrase communicates the how and the means we are to bring them up. Listen, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. See the prepositional phrase, but bring them up in... The discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay? Let's break these two things down. Here's the means. And there's two Greek words used. They're different, but they're very similar. It's the Greek word for discipline and then the Greek word for instruction. If you're asking the pastor, if you're asking the Bible, how do we bring up our children and honor God and do it God's way, then you are to do it by what the Scripture says. And the Bible says you are to do it in the discipline and in the instruction, and and don't forget this, of the Lord. That's what the Bible says to us. Discipline of the Lord, instruction of the Lord. Okay, first, the word discipline is the word paideia, which you know there are many derivatives that come off of this for many different things in this world are taken from the Greek word paideia. And it means training, instruction, discipline, and correction. Okay? Scholars tell us that this word is more generally used for this terminology of training your children. It's an act of providing guidance for what is called responsible living. In parental context, it's training that is attained by by discipline and by correction. Is this not God's father? fatherly relationship to us as his children there has to be some correction going on there has to be some chastening going on I don't know how y'all feel about that but I need it from the Lord turn over to Hebrews 12 it would I would really encourage you to let your eyes see this particular text of scripture Hebrews 12 beginning in verse 5 we are on the first verb used, instruction, or the first aspect of what this looks like, how it focuses. There are many times the word paideia is used in verbal form, teach, train. But here we're dealing with the first aspect, as it says in Ephesians. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the discipline. Listen to chapter 12, verse 5. And, you, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. There it is, paideia. Nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines. There it is, verb form. The one he loves and chastises, chastens, chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children 
It means you don't belong to the Lord and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. The discipline of the Lord, the scourging of the Lord, the chastening of the Lord is for your good to sanctify you and make you more like Christ. Listen to verse 11. All you kids will say amen to this. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Y'all agree with that one? But later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been paideia, trained. Well, actually that's more the bringing up by it. So I, I give you that to help you see this is discipline for a purpose. In our lives as believers, it's for spiritual maturity. And for the children, it's to bring them up for a purpose of maturity. Which physically we would say yes, but also spiritually. Look with me into the book of Proverbs. We'll be there a lot. So just stick you a marker in there. Because we're going to go back and forth. But listen to this one. Proverbs 22, verse 5. I'm sorry, verse 15. Proverbs 22, 15. What's the purpose of this particular discipline? 22.15 of the Proverbs. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Now, you may think, well, foolishness here simply means a child's weakness. Okay, because they're kids. That's not the word. And not the way it's uh, translated in the Proverbs. It's actually the seeds of rebellion that are in the hearts of children that are against God and his wisdom. All right. So it doesn't tell you to drive out your children's weaknesses, right? Because they're children. It says that you're called by God... Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. What is folly? Rebellion against God and those seeds. What will drive that out? Kids, you love this, don't you, kids? You're going to think I'm your best friend after this. What drives it out? The rod of discipline. So this is not just childish weaknesses bound up in the heart of a child. This is, these are the seeds of rebellion in the heart against the wisdom of God. It is the rod of correction that removes it far from him. So the Bible presents the idea of discipline as the concept of training your children, educating your children by the use of discipline and correction to bring about a desired result. The Bible does not envision the discipline of children apart from the use of the rod. No matter what the media says, no matter what the world says, we have to ask ourselves the question, am I committed to the wisdom of God or not? And if you're committed to the wisdom of God, then that statement is unequivocally true in the Bible that God does not see any training or education apart from discipline and correction. And it's brought about in the scripture by a rod. It's an instrument that brings pain on the backside. It is. So it's to raise them up in the discipline of 
the Lord. Okay? We'll return to some of those thoughts in a few moments. That's the first word, paideia. There's a second one, and it's neuthasia, which is the word instruction or admonishment. Okay? The word instruction translates to admonish them, and this is more along giving counsel of avoidance or of a cessation of a improper of an improper course of action. Any parents ever warned your kids? Uh, this will not be a good idea. You you say to them with you you want them to avoid a certain path. So these terms no doubt are similar. Yet the term discipline or neuthesia refers more to training that takes place through verbal correction. So we provide verbal instruction to correct behavior and belief. It's to advise our children of dangerous consequences of some happening or action and to get a solemn warning from the parent. Second Samuel, I'm sorry, First Samuel. Take a look over there with me. I want to show you how the word is used in the Old Testament. Again, the Greek translation of the Old uses the exact same word that Paul uses here. You know the context. Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And they served in the tradition of their fathers as priests. You had to be in the bloodline to actually be a priest. But here's what we know about these two boys. They were self-serving, they were flesh-feeding, and they were carnal, unregenerate boys. The Bible tells us that they were guilty of two things. They robbed the people of God of their sacrifices brought to them to give to the Lord because they ate them. And then secondly, they were actually having relations, intercourse with women right in front of the Lord's temple. So in chapter 3, verse 13, listen. And I declare to you, I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew. Who is, this is God speaking to Eli. Because his sons were blaspheming God. Keep in mind what the two things they were doing. And he did not restrain them. There's your word. There, there's the verbal conversation piece that Eli forgot. As a matter of fact, he says to them in the Septuagint, they acted wickedly and you did not neuthasia. You did not warn them. You did not restrain them of the consequences of their actions. Actually, Eli does go to them. But he's very weak, and in a very weak way, he gives them a weak warning. And the Lord says, you did not admonish them. So if Paideia emphasizes the rod in correction and training and discipline, Neuthesia or discipline emphasizes words of rebuke and admonishment. Proverbs 29, 15. Let me show you how the Bible brings it together. Proverbs 29, 15. Great to hear the pages of Scripture turning, right? Proverbs 29, verse 15. The rod and reproof. Do you see it? The rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Both are brought together. 
The rod and reproof are compounds of physical punishment. And then there is a reasoned verbal reprimand. So if we desire to live under the control of the influence of the Spirit. And to be people who are saturated with the Word. then We've got to take seriously our call to bring up our children into maturity. By discipline of the Lord and the instruction. And notice this. It's of the Lord. This is instruction. This is discipline and instruction. That is of the Lord. Now, we all know unconverted people who have spanked their kids when they were little. And we know unconverted people who probably warned their children and said to them, if you continue down this course of action, you're going to get into trouble. Yet Paul says you are to bring them up with two spheres. You bring them up with discipline and instruction. And here's the important thing of the connection. It's of the Lord. In other words, folks, this is not mere humanistic thought. This is not a mere moralistic way. It's the discipline and instruction that is in reference to the Lord. In other words, He must be the focus of all of your parenting. It's the Lord that's the focus. And doesn't this make sense? If you're spirit-filled and saturated with the Word, then you need to be Christocentric. In other words, it puts your focus on Christ. puts your focus on Jesus. Why? What's the role of the Holy Spirit? To bring glory to Jesus. So therefore, even in the raising of your children, it's for you to be Christ-centered, Spirit-filled parents who ultimately are raising those kids, not just to make them little Pharisees, but to grow up and love Christ. So through this godly training and admonition, we desire for our kids to come to know Christ and to obey Christ. This is important. As parents, we are to submit to the Lordship of Christ and hopefully, by God's grace, bring our children to Christ. That's the goal. We don't want them running around the aisles in Walmart like some mindless maniacs. I get that. We want them to be well behaved. We want them to be first time obedient. Right? First time obedient, vegetable eating children. Right? We certainly want that. But as the parent, the ultimate passion is not just that they obey you in the department store. Our ultimate passion is for our children to come to know Love and follow and obey Christ the King. I said it last week. I would rather my children have a menial job, making a menial income, and know Jesus than to have all that this world has to offer and not know Christ. Listen, this is so vitally important. It is instruction. It is discipline of the Lord. Now, with the time we have remaining, let me give you some application. Are you ready? Here's the first one. To parent is a sacred commission. Can't we get that from here? Surely you get this. Because this instruction and discipline is of the Lord. Think of this. A soul has been placed, parents, into your care. And into your authority. And from the moment of conception to the present day, God has used you. As an instrument to bring about a human being who has a never dying soul. Please think of this. 
God doesn't just provide the instrumentality to bring the child into the world. He also says, now that I have brought this child into the world, this child who has a never-dying soul, who will stand before the living God one day in judgment, God has also given them into your care, into your charge. Please see this. The parent, to parent is a sacred commission. Parenting is a holy, solemn, sacred commission from the living God. And so, please, we live in a day of passive parenting. And we've all been affected by it in some form or way. We like to use bribes and diversions. Don't we? Instead of touching something that we told little Johnny not to touch, we say, okay, little Johnny, play with this instead. Instead of when little Johnny gets a hold to something the first time, we say, if you touch that again, you will be disciplined. We instead like to use a bribe. We create diversions to remove the object of temptation instead of teaching them to obey. If you just, please, little Johnny, if you just refrain from screaming at the top of your lungs in Walmart, then when we leave, I will buy you a toy. You're guilty, aren't we? We're all guilty, aren't we? Now, this doesn't break an insubordinate spirit. It's really just a diversion. I tell you, you will not hinder or thwart or damage their little psyche by using the rod on their backside. You won't. Under the control of the Holy Spirit of God, in obedience to the Word of God, folks, as a church, we must forsake the wisdom of the world and we need to embrace what the Word of God says to us about parenting. We don't know better than the Bible how to raise our children. God knows. God knows way better than Oprah and Dr. Phil. I promise you, he does. The law of pragmatism should not prevail over what the Word of God says. Have you raised kids where it seemed that spanking did not work? Oh. Natalie and I got more tired of it, of the spanking, than our children did. But I know they were waving the white flag, right? <laughs> this was actually bought by Granny. Ah! You know, they're like, grandmas are like, don't spank that kid. And then when they get like 10, spank them. And I'm going to actually buy you the thing to spank them with, right? But this one's funny because Merritt, he always got picked on the most. Let's go ahead and tell you. Because Nathan's eight years younger and he came along later. As a matter of fact, they've said to me before, you don't give Nathan as many spankings as we got. We said, because y'all are not there, right? Nathan don't have anybody to fight with like y'all did. But Timothy, Merritt, and Elena, they did. But they got poor old Merritt up here. And Timothy and Elena's names have been scratched out. And Merritt says that all the tally marks of the spankings they got were actually put on there by Elena. Because she wanted everybody to think in life that Merritt got more spankings than she did. But, but anyway, this was one of the instruments. And, and at times you do feel like, I mean, I've had parents come to me in counseling and say to me, man, it just seems like I spank and spank and spank, it does no good. Well, there's a part of us that must say this, God, I'm doing this by faith. Why am I continuing to be diligent in this? Because I'm doing it God's way. Remember the text of Scripture. It is the rod that drives it away from them. 
We have to believe what the Word of God says. I choose to follow the wisdom of the Word, not a psychologist. Since you've got this sacred commission, we better learn what the sacred scripture says about parenting. God has put them into our care and under our authority. And he asks us to rear them his way. Okay? So, to parent is a sacred commission. Number two, take seriously your children's education. Discipline is unto instruction. Discipline is unto admonishment. So we often think of education only in the fields of specified, only in the realm of specified fields, right? We're we're all like that in some form. However, in the Bible, education begins with the Lord. Are y'all listening? Education begins in the Lord. In other words, there is no real true education without the Lord. So keep this in mind. He is the ultimate subject, isn't he? Biblically, this is the perspective of education. It is only by studying God, the ultimate teacher, the ultimate ruler, and our Savior, that true education can possibly be done. Folks, you know what this means? It means that the Word of God, which contains the knowledge of God and the wisdom of God, must be fundamental to your child's education. You send them off to Ozark, to Nixa, and think they're going to get educated by God, you're wrong. So in a sense, all of us have to be homeschoolers. Not that you are part of a network, not that you opted to homeschool. I have a ninth grader who's in Ozark, Merritt graduated, Timothy, all of them went to public school in some form or fashion. But here's the deal. We all have to educate at home. And we all have to give them the knowledge of the Lord. That's what they need. We need to impart them to them biblical wisdom so that they see. This is what's discouraging sometimes. We send our kids off to to public school and they don't see the antithesis. They just take it hook, line, and sinker. If you've trained your kid appropriately according to the word, they will see the antithesis. They will see the difference between God's word and what they see at school. Amen? I mean, a little bit of light goes a long way. A little bit of salt goes a long way. But you got to be willing to be salt and light. You can't hide your faith under a bushel. And so we want them to see the antithesis. We need to impart to them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ so that they can see the grace of God, believe the gospel, And become followers of Jesus Christ. I hope and pray that as we read Ephesians 6.4. We recognize that God cares about the way we bring up our children. Take it seriously. Take it seriously. Can the church aid you in your kids, in your commission to take seriously the education of your children? And the answer to that is absolutely. We don't provide Sunday school just so the adults can sit in their Sunday school class and hear We actually provide Sunday school so that they hear the attributes of God. So that they hear the promises of God. So that that child, and we're supplementing this to your home education, right? So that they learn the promises of God and the attributes of God. So after all, all Christian parents, again, need to homeschool their children. So as the church seeks to aid you with Christian education, please support those efforts. Bring your kids to Sunday school. 
bring your kids to the youth group. Why? Because we're trying to help you with your sacred commission. Amen? We're trying to do that. So please don't buy into the idea that it's someone else's responsibility to educate your children. Fathers, raise your children in the education of the Lord. Finally, take seriously our children's discipline. It's discipline. It's correction. God commands it. God makes it clear that he disciplines his own children. Do we need to read Hebrews again? Keep this parallel in your mind. He doesn't let you go your own way. Okay? The Proverbs remind us that if we just let our children go their own way, we're fools as parents and the children will end up as fools. The foolishness is bound up in their hearts and it doesn't allow them to grow up straight and neutral. Are y'all listening? Children do not come into this world with a blank slate. I don't care what nitwit theological person told you that. They do not grow up with a blank slate. They're twisted. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So remember this. God disciplines us. He scourges us. He chastens us. Because that is the way a godly parent parents their children. Turn over to Proverbs 19, 18. We're about to land the plane, so stay with me. Okay? Almost done. 19, 18. Here's what the Bible says. Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. This is serious, isn't it? This means that we discipline during the time that God has given us the opportunity. There comes a time when this discipline is neither applicable nor is it appropriate. Listen to Proverbs 23, 13. Flip over a few pages. Do not withhold discipline from your child. Notice how he's correlating discipline. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. Now here's what I know. He may sound like he's dying, right? And he may say he's going to die, but he's not going to. Correcting discipline can be a means of grace to the soul of your child, right? The nature of our children requires discipline. They do not come into this world, again, as a blank slate. They come into this world as children of Adam. They come into this world dead in Adam. So... Proverbs 22, 15, again, look at this one. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. That rebellion is driven away through the rod of correction, right? The weakness is driven away by their own physical maturing. But the folly, the foolishness, the rebellion against the Lord is driven away by a rod. Charles Bridges once said, Spanking is medicine, not food. So the way to deal with rebellion, not talking about child weakness, is with a rod of correction. You know, I distinctly remember that in the same year that I trusted Christ when I was nine, I got the worst whipping I'd ever gotten. And I never forgot that one. You know, I crossed a line with my dad, and it was an issue of just bold face looking him in the eye and telling a lie. And I'm telling you what, if hell has ever been driven out of my heart, it was with that spanking. 
I'm telling you like it is. But I think it tendered my heart to understand what disobedience was. It, folks, without the discipline of the Lord, you never understand what the law of God says. You don't understand what it's like to break the law of God and then to be corrected by it. And I, I don't think it's an accident that God redeemed my heart as a nine-year-old boy in the same year that I got the worst whipping I'd ever gotten. And I also let my dad down. You know, all that becomes, just floods into you when this happens. So parents, God has placed you in charge, therefore children must obey. The authority structure requires discipline. Genuine parental love requires discipline. Proverbs 13, 24. I think this is the last verse I'm going to give you. Let me check. Yep. 13, 24. Please hear this one. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. Is that the world's wisdom? But that's God's wisdom. He, whoever spares the rod, hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. But here's what we say. Oh, he's just so cute. Look at him down here. Look at me. He's so cute. I can't spank him. You know what that means? You love yourself more than your child. That's what you're really saying. You love yourself more than the child. She's so cute. Just, and we rejoice as they're sinning against us. Watch them do this as they're so cute. Now, I know how it feels to be a grandparent. I've watched Elena scoop up them babies and take them out. And it's time for whipping. There's part of me that says, don't, don't spank. And I'm like, spank them. Right? Because we know. We, we know what the scripture says. Understand something. This cuts across the grain of our 20, year 2022. Are you going to believe God or not? Are you going to believe God or not? And this is what the holy word of God says. You say, this is Proverbs. This is as much the word as if Jesus would manifest himself bodily and speak to you today. This is the holy word of God. This is the Bible. And I get it. Some of you are saying, well, it's not in red letters. Forget that. We put the red on it. This is the book. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Every bit of it. And when Paul said that, the only scripture we had was the Old Testament. All scripture is given by God and is breathed out by God and is profitable for doctrine. Here it is again, reproof, instruction in righteousness. So please, forget about their cuteness and think about what God has said to you. God has given you this for a reason. Because the Bible says the rod is good for them. It says it delivers their soul from Sheol. It says it drives foolishness away from their hearts. So we should desire what is good for our kids. How many of you? would allow your kid to be diagnosed with a particular illness and not go get medication for it. Knowing full well that it's only those meds that will help that child out of that sickness. Well, folks, I'm telling you, this is what the Holy Word of God says about medicine that needs to be given, even if it is to their backside, and it's for their good.
Amen? Now, I want to end by reminding you of this. There's, there's a lot I put in there, but it's late. I was going to outline for you what discipline looks like with a child. Okay? To make sure you tell them what the wrong is. To make sure you're consistent. To make sure you're diligent. That you stay under control. That you do all these things that you need to be reminded. You notice the term in Proverbs. A parent that is diligent. You don't just do this one time and forget, nor you've you got to be diligent. I, I was going to give you all that. Let me just give you the end of it. You've got to point them to Christ. In other words, you need evangelistic discipline. The only way that that deep spot of rebellion will ever be washed away is through the Lamb of God. The only way that rebellious heart will ever be changed is that the Lord God takes out that heart of stone puts in a heart of flesh that's pliable, that thus can believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he or she believes unto faith, believes the word of God. You read Ezekiel 37. You read Ezekiel. It is I that will do this. It is I that will do this. It is I that will do this. It is I that will do this, right? God can do it. What do we do? We don't necessarily hear him saying in Proverbs that if you do all these things, it's going to fully justify the means. But what it does tell you to do is to be obedient, do it God's way, trust God that he will take care of the end. That we do the means as best we possibly can, but God will take care of the end results. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, uh, Lord, we get a little frustrated about time sometimes because we... No, we need to hear this in our day. And maybe this needs to be more of a seminar than a sermon. I don't know, Lord. But, Father, it's your word. And you said in it the adversative, the contrast of not provoking them and not embittering our children. And, Lord God, do we ever have so many angry, embittered kids in our world. The opposite of that is that we bring them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. God help me. Help us. Help parents. Help grandparents. Believe and trust the wisdom of God. Help us Lord in this area. And may you continue to build families that are filled with the Spirit. That are saturated with your word. Why? Because the Spirit's job is to glorify you. And we won't God-glorifying, Christ-centered families. Wives submitting unto their husbands gladly. Husbands loving their wives with joy. Children obeying their parents. And parents not provoking and embittering, but bringing our children up in bringing up, nourishing them in instruction, in correction, in verbal correcting them. In belief and in behavior. God help us. If there's someone here lost today, Lord, remind them. Uh, Lord, maybe there's someone here today that's struggling with their salvation. Here's the deal. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Do we sense the disciplining hand of God in our lives? Bringing us back. Correcting us. Bringing up the word through the spirit so that we comply with what the word says. Lord, help us. In that area, if someone's lost, Lord, there is absolutely no way to heaven except through Jesus. You said, I am the way. That means there's no way of going apart from you. I'm the way, the truth. That means there's no way of knowing how to come to the Father except through Jesus. No way. Lord, 
You are the way, the truth, and the life. That means there's no real life apart from Jesus. Your word says, those who do not have the Son do not have life. Those that have the Son have life. God, would you be pleased to give life today to someone's soul? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand stand and sing. sing. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like mine can peace afford. Jody Beers. All right? Sometimes people love calling out the pastor. I can tell you now, Mr. John has called me out more than anybody in this church. (laughs) In the softball league, right? All right. But he has been a blessing to us. Uh, He went through some tough times recently with sickness, COVID, heat stroke. But praise the Lord, he's doing better. And uh, Miss Jody and John have been visiting for quite some time. And uh, they desire to unite with First Baptist Ozark in church membership. All right? They'll be coming from a sister SBC church, and uh, they both know Christ. They both follow in believers' baptism. And uh, overjoyed that they want to be a part of us. Amen? Amen? God bless you. Glad to have you. All right? Have you go back there. You probably called Chris out a couple of times too, but he's in the back. Walk back that way, and you can line up on the right, and we'll come out and greet you. All right? All right. Well, God bless you. I hope you've had a, I hope you have a Christ-filled day. Tonight, we will take part in the Lord's Supper. Please, always note how significant and important it is for the unity of our church body for us to participate together in communion. It is vitally important. So I hope you'll come back tonight for that. That's at 5.30. And I'll do the best I can to get you back where you can see the end of the Chiefs game. <laughs> I will. I'll do my best. You just show up and we'll try our best to get out of here so you can watch the end of the Buffalo Bills. See, I know what's going on, right? Yeah, I'm down just like you Cardinals fans because my Braves got beat, you know? That's all right. Hey, the Lord's still on the throne, right? That's what's important. All right. To God be the glory. You have a blessed day and you're dismissed.
Shout Jesus from the mountains and Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name. Jesus.